I love that song. Blessed assurance we have found in God. Turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3 is where we will be studying today. It's page 448 in the Red Bibles. What do you do when life falls apart? Where do you go to find strength and hope? Ukrainian missionary Vasil Ostry writes this. In recent days, the events from the book of Esther have become real to us in Ukraine. It is as if the decree is signed and Haman has the license to destroy an entire nation. The gallows are ready. Ukraine is simply waiting. He writes, can you imagine the mood in a city where gradually, day after day, month after month, the world's media has been saying that war is inevitable, that much blood is going to be shed? How should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war, when there is constant fear in society? He says, I am convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, that it's not relevant in a time of peace. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. And he says, as tensions have risen, our church announced a week of fasting and prayer, gathering every night to bring our request to God. For three days in a row, the lights were turned off in the city, and we were forced to meet in the dark, adding a solemn atmosphere to our prayers for peace. At the end of the week, those moments in the group produced in us an inner strength to persevere. Through communal prayer, we've gained confidence and peace. We believe God is with us, and that is the most important thing. The church says, we still believe we have a role to play in the struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, mend the broken, and as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. Did you hear what he said? When life is falling apart, he says, if the church is not relevant in a time of crisis, it's not relevant in a time of peace. The Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ went to the Lord in prayer and came back with strength and resolve. So I say to you today, church family, If the church isn't relevant in a time of crisis, it's not relevant in a time of peace. If Christianity is not pertinent in times of calamity, then it's not feasible in a time of prosperity. If the Bible doesn't speak to the difficulties of life, then is it worth reading? If God does not have an answer for the many troubles that we face, is he worthy of our worship? What I want to tell you today is, The church is relevant in times of crisis. The Bible does speak to difficulties of your life. And God has the answers for the troubles of your soul. When life falls apart, God is near. When the situations in your life turn chaotic, God is by your side. When you can't seem to get out of bed in the morning because you are weighed down by the burdens in your life, God is in your midst, ready and able to save you. 
God had King David write Psalm 3 today to speak to all of us here. He has written this psalm to tell us how to stay faithful to God when everything is falling apart. Let's go ahead and read this psalm. Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from, his, from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Selah. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we know that right now Ukraine needs this psalm. They need to know that they have a God who is near to them, a God who cares for them, a God who understands the problems and trials and difficulties they're going through with this invasion. And Lord, we pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ there, Lord, that they would look up to you and see that you are in control and you are going to fight on their behalf. Lord, we also pray today for the many people that are here that are facing suffering, that are facing difficulties, that are facing trials and calamities. Lord, I pray that they don't continue to look around into their circumstances, but they will look up to Jesus, the one who loves them, the one who created them, the one who has a plan for them, and they would see that your sovereign hand is over them and you will comfort them in this time. We thank you for this day. In your name, amen. How can you stay faithful to God when everything is falling apart? Psalm 3 has a bunch of firsts in it. It's the first book, um, first book in the song with the category of lament, in which the psalmist, well, lament means the psalmist is singing the blues. Uh, one pastor defines it like this. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promises of God's goodness. Lament is prayer and pain that leads to trust. We see this in Psalm 3, that David cries out to the Lord in verses 1 and 2, and in the remaining six verses, he's, he's declaring his confident trust in the Lord. Psalm 3 also is the first psalm to ascribe an author, which is King David. And it's the first psalm with a superscription. That's what you see that heading, if you have an ESV Bible or some Bibles have it, the heading which says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You see, that heading right there in the Hebrew Bible is actually verse 1. It is inspired. And I believe the Lord inspired it, it, this to be written because it helps us understand the circumstances that that this psalm was written in, that we understand the background and that this can minister to our hearts. 
Some background on it, and you don't need to turn there, of when David is fleeing from Absalom, his son. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and through 18. King David had a messy and dysfunctional family. He didn't obey God, and as a result, he had multiple wives, and his own sinfulness has clouded him and is invaded into his sons. David's sons Amnon lusted after his half-sister Tamar. And to fulfill his desire, he tricked his sister Tamar to come and bring him food because he said that he was sick. And when she came, he raped her and left her to her own. Well, in defense of his sister Absalom, tricks Amnon into coming and helping him shear his sheep and has his servants kill him in vengeance. So Absalom now has to flee away from the royal city because he knows what he's done is wrong. But during that time, a conspiracy is started. He's, he's handsome, he's charming, and he's able to get the hearts of the citizens to turn away from, the, from David, from God's anointed one. So David has no choice but to flee, says in, Psalm, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 13. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. It was during this exile that David wrote Psalm 3. And in the psalm, we find the strategy on how to stay faithful to God when life is falling apart. In verse 1 and 2, we see that David looks around at his problems. He looks around at his situation. He looks around at his circumstances. And you see that word many used three times there. The more he thinks about his difficulties, the more intense they get. In verse 3 through 8, he looks above and recognizes God's care, God's compassion, God's total control of the situation And it gives him the courage to persevere and get a good night's rest. That's what I want to show you today. If you want to have peace in the middle of the storm, you must not look around. You need to look up. Verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. When David looks around at his situation and the circumstances, they are bleak. The king has fled from his throne. He is running away barefoot with his head covered in ashes, mourning. And what is causing this affliction, as I told you earlier, his, his son has betrayed him and the people are out to get him, the king, the man after God's own heart. The many people that David knew, that David loved and trusted, were now determined to bring his reign to an end. His friends became foes. His family members became his enemies. His servants probably became soldiers out to get him. So David cries out to God, and he's telling God that there are many people who are against him. Many people are infringing upon his soul, and they are his enemies now. That word foe, Uh, there's so many different words used for foe or enemy found in the Old Testament. This one, uh, the common word, oyeb, means one who hates me. But that's not the word that's used here. Instead, the psalmist describes the enemy as an oppressor. 
What you get from that is someone that constrains and conflicts. It's narrowing you and constricting you. It would be like a boa constrictor. When it comes and seeks its prey, it just comes and crushes them. What you get from this word in this psalm is that David's looking everywhere and he can't find an escape. But he only sees a multitude of people pressing against him closer and closer and his trials are crushing him. Like David, many of you are here today that can say they're facing extreme difficulties. Your many problems are crushing you. Your many difficulties are restricting you. Your many sorrows are overwhelming your soul. Many of you cannot get a good night's rest because of the difficulties you may be experiencing. You may be experiencing joblessness or not an adequate salary to provide for your family because inflation is going up. You or a family member may be fighting through cancer or facing another difficult medical issue. You may be experiencing heartbreak because uh, you have a family member that has betrayed you, a family member that has betrayed your trust. You may be wrestling with addictions or depression or anxiety. You may even be experiencing heartache by the attacks and the words of another believer. When you look around at your situations, the trials keep piling up. So where does your help come from? For David, they taunted him and they said this, there is no salvation for you, David, in God. They're saying God is not able to help you, David. You see, your personal relationship to God is meaningless. God either cannot or will not deliver you. They are saying he either lacks the power or desire to save you. But may I declare to you boldly today that our God does not lack the power to save. Our God does not lack the ability to care. Our God does not lack the desire to rescue us from our pain. It is the words of Satan that are running through your mind when you think that God has given up on you. Don't believe it. There is no predicament that God cannot handle. There is no crisis that God cannot solve. There is no storm that God cannot rescue you from. I don't care what situation you may be facing in life today whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, the God that can move mountains, the God that can cause the blind to see, the God that saved a dirty, wretched sinner like myself can save you. There is nothing that our God can't handle. There is nothing that our God cannot do. God is able. And we need to be like the hymn writer and say, he's able, he's able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. That's what we got to sing. You see, what caused David to complain initially was he spent too much time looking around at his circumstances and not looking above. You see, we need to stop looking around, and we need to look above. In verse 1 and 2, David is complaining about the many enemies around him. And in verse 3 through 8, David shifts his focus from around him to above him. He turns to God. This is the only way to stay faithful to God when life is falling apart. You must keep your eyes fixed on him. James Montgomery Boyce comments on this. He says, When a believer gazes too long at his enemies, the forces arrayed against him seem to grow in size until it appears to be overwhelming. But when he turns his thoughts to God, 
God is seen in his true great stature. The enemy's strength to manageable proportions, that is what David does, and this is what we should do. If we only focus on our trials and sufferings we face, they seem to grow in size while God appears small. But when you look above, when you look above and see your difficulties in light of God's care and his ability and his strength and his wisdom and his power, they're going to seem more manageable because God's got you. You see, it still may be difficult what you are facing, but he is carrying the load. What else does David say? But you, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. You see, the Lord is our shield. The first time the word shield is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham has just defeated the enemies of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was afraid to take the spoils of war because he thought that the heathens would accuse him of robbing them. But God told him in Genesis 15 verse 1, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is the confidence to those who trust in the Lord. He is a shield that protects in times of trouble. Psalm 1835, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Psalm 287, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. I'm helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. God is is your shield. You see, a shield has this purpose in defense in battle. It was used to protect you, and that word for shield we get is just a small shield that was there to defend you. So the thing is, it still left you exposed on your sides and on your back. But God being our shield, notice what the verse says, you are a shield all about me, all around me. God is a shield. That means I don't have to worry who is trying to stab me in the back because God's got me. I don't have to worry about the many difficulties I'm facing because God is all around me. I don't have to worry about what the future holds because I know who holds the future. You see, he is a shield all about me. And what else is he? The Lord is my glory. That word used here for glory is typically reserved for the glory of the God, his majesty and his honor. When it's used in reference to humans, it's speaking of their reputation, their dignity, their value, their worth. David had his glory stripped away for him by his son. He had no self-worth and dignity. It was lost. He used to be the king and ruler of the nations, of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had the palace. He had everything. And now he is a broken man running away from his palace, from his kingdom, up a mountain, covered in ashes, weeping. David had no glory. He had no dignity, no self-worth. And in this moment, when he was stripped of all his nobility, notice what he said, God alone was his glory. Whether he would be restored back to the palace or not, he found his dignity and self-worth in God. David is saying that I am somebody not because I am king, but because I belong to the true king of kings. 
you and I need to hear this passage today when life falls apart because when we look around and the problems continue to mount up. God is the only one that can give us value and worth in life. You may be here today saying, I have trouble loving myself. I know that my problem is low self-esteem or I don't feel good about myself. And the counsel you may get from the world is to love yourself, take time for yourself. But what your problem is, is that you found your glory in what you do or in who you thought you were instead of looking up and seeing that your glory is in God. You see, here's the thing you need to understand real clearly. We were created in the image of God, but that image was marred by sin, and yet Christ freely came and gave himself for us. You need to understand when you try to get your glory from other places and say, oh, I'm value, I'm worth. Here's the thing. In God's eyes, we weren't worth it. Notice, but this is what makes it amazing because if we try to find value in ourselves, we are going to be up and low based on our behavior, based on what we do. But we don't bring anything to the table to God and that, get this, and yet he still loves us. That's what's amazing. We don't offer up anything, and yet he still loves us. Bible says while we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's where we get our glory from. You see, self-dignity and self-worth aren't found in more self-esteem. It's found in thinking less of yourself and more about his glorious grace. God saved you despite your past. He saved you despite your selfishness. He saved you despite your waywardness. And here's the thing that you need to stand upon. He loves you. He redeemed you. He restored you. He revived you. You are loved. You are secure in Christ. You are chosen by God. You are adopted. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's where your value is found in, who Christ declares of you. Do you believe this to be true? Often we allow our work accomplishments to be our sense of honor. We allow what our kids do and how they represent us to define us. Teens, maybe it's your sporting or academic accomplishments, but David, when he was stripped of all his relics of glory, recognizes that the only thing he ever needed was God himself. You don't need a spouse to give you glory. You don't need that job to give you glory. You don't need that house to give you glory. You and I need to stop looking around at what others have and what we don't have and recognize we find our glory in him. You don't need that perfect body to give you glory. You don't need that financial success to give you glory. You don't need to have those perfect kids. All you need, all you ever needed, all you will ever need is God. He is your glory. Not only this, he's a shield. He is our glory. He is the lifter of my head. David fled to the Mount of Olives, weeping and barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with them covered their heads in grief and pain and shame. Okay, this was ultimate humiliation. He has been defeated. But, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and my lifter of my head. You see, in ancient worlds, what would happen is subjects would bow down before the monarch when they were being judged in their case. If the monarch sided against them, what they would do is they would put their foot on their throat in shame and agony like a dog. 
okay? But if the monarch sided with the subject, he would step down from the throne and vindicate him by lifting his head up. You see, this is what King David knows, that when he presents his case to God, God will be the one that lifts his head up. You stay faithful to God when life is falling apart. You look above, he will lift your head up, church family. We need to look above. And how did he do this? Verse 4, David says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept and woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David cried aloud to the Lord. Lord, Aloud to the Lord did he cry. When you are in the midst of tribulations, of suffering and worries and pains, pour out your heart to God. That is the beauty of the lament psalms. Why I love them so much. I love preaching through the psalms because it gives us really the soundtrack of how to speak to God when we are in pain. You see, God wants to hear the longing of your hearts. He is not an absentee father. He's always available and eager to hear from his children. So cry out to him. I know, I know, there is a time and place for contemplative and somber prayers when you're in the valley of the shadow. But when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, I need you right now. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him, Lord, right now, you know I'm about to lose it. You know the circumstance in my family. It's so difficult. I need your help. Lord, you know how my kids are. Lord, I need your help. Lord, this diagnosis is is just too much to bear. I need you. God wants to hear your cries. And notice this. What does he do when David cries out to the Lord? He answers him. Isn't that me? He answers him from his holy hill. This is important because in the context of a royal psalm, holy mountain signified the coronation of Jesus. Just back over in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, As for me, I have set my king, which is Jesus, on Zion, my holy hill. The God who has installed his king on the holy mountain has come to aid him in this place. David may have been forced off the throne, but God was still on the throne and in control. You may have been let go from your job, but God is still on his throne. Your family member may have crushed you with words, but the Lord is still on his throne. You may have gotten that diagnosis, but God is still on his throne. He is still ruling and reigning. When you look above, all you are going to see is chaos and anarchy and calamity. When you look around, I mean, but when you look above, Christ Jesus is seated seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Not only this, the Lord is the sustainer. Notice verse 5, I lay down and slept and woke again for the Lord sustained me. 
David can peacefully sleep at night because he recounted how in the past the Lord sustained him. He had no fear of his enemies that was all around him because he had seen how God had defended him in the past. This verse implies confidence in his previous experiences with what God has done in his life. And what do we need to do that's very applicable now? We need to have a faith journal where God has answered our prayers. Because what happens sometimes is when we are going through difficulty is we get spiritual amnesia. We forget how God has acted and interceded on us in the past. We forget. Even just two weeks ago, I'm taking, rushing my son to the ER because he says now he's blurry. His eyes are seeing blood. He doesn't know what's happening with him. So I'm rushing him to the ER and I'm concerned. And it's like, Wait, do I not remember that when my son Amari was born, that he came out, he was white as snow, umbilical cord wrapped around the neck, and let the Lord delivered him? Do I forget that? No, you and I need to keep a record how God has been faithful to us in the past because we need to be reminded that he is going to be faithful again to us. Keep a faith journal. Each one of you have circumstances and situation in your life where you've seen God show up and show out. So keep record of it. Keep it plastered somewhere so that when you are tempted to despair, you remember, God, this is how you interceded. God, this is what you did. And even today, if you think you have nothing to be thankful for, realize this, you are alive, awake, and in Christ's family today in church. He has given you a new day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is our sustainer. Not only that, you need to see from the testimony of Scripture. This is why it's so important not just to be under the Word of God, but to personally be in the Word of God. You need to be in it. Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, is expecting to face execution, but his confidence in the Lord when life was falling apart. He says this in 2 Timothy 4.16. And my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. What the Apostle Paul is referring to is that God had delivered him in the past so he could take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he believed God could do it in the future. But let me say verse 18 to you. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What Paul is stating so clearly here is God has saved him in the past. He can save him in the future, but I want you to grasp this because it's so important. He's able to help him in his time of need, but if he allows him to be, which it did happen, to be executed, he's going to deliver him to heaven. What do you and I need to do? Too often, we have placed our allegiance into America and this country, and we need to recognize that we're not really citizens of America. We are tourists of here. Our citizenship is in heaven, okay? That's where we should look above and recognize this. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Psalm 118.6. 
when we come to conclusion in this sermon, Psalm 3, uh, David says this, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all the enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 3 is a psalm that we need to turn to in life when everything's falling apart. If I was able to give a message to the Ukrainians right now, I'd tell them to turn to Psalm 3 because this is a psalm for them. And this is a psalm that can be for us as well. David cries out to the Lord in verse 1 and 6, and it's not actually until verse 7 and 8 does he finally begin to make a request to God. He first looks around at his situation, but then he looks up and recognizes God's care, God's control of the situation. Verse 7, he prays, Arise, O Lord. This was a cry in which David calls on God to act on his behalf. This was Moses' cry as he led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Numbers 10.35. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. Israel constantly trusted in God to fight their battles for them. Remember in verse 2, David says, many were rising against him. Now he's saying, you, Lord, rise up for me. You, Lord, fight my battle. Remember back in uh, verse 2, there is no salvation for him and God. Verse 8, salvation only belongs to God. You see this perspective change that took place? He went to God with his problems. He went to God with his burdens. He went to God with the sorrows of his heart. And he came back seeing his problems in light of the majesty of God. He had confidence that God would work things out for him. Salvation, rescue, deliverance does not belong to man. It belongs to God. When life falls apart, I want you and I to understand that sometimes, not sometimes, All the times, Satan is going to use those situations to turn your eyes away from God. He's going to use these trials, this suffering, these difficulties to take your gaze away from God and make you question, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? Does he have my best interests at heart? And what we see in the psalm as King David is wrestling with his soul and taking his uh, soul to God That salvation belongs to the Lord alone. Church family, we need to look above. We need to look above and think of the words that Jesus says for our hearts and our souls. He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Or I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, 
Where does David get this confidence? Where should we get this confidence? Jesus has been faithful to the end. He has provided time and time again, and he will be faithful for you at all times. Don't look around at your circumstances and your situation. Look above to King Jesus and boldly declare salvation belongs to you alone, O Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this psalm, Lord, as it's ministered to my heart, just to remember you, O Lord, are my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head. I can get a good night's rest because I know my God cares, my God is in control, and he knows all things. So I pray today for people that are facing excruciating difficulties, Lord. They would not look around but they will look up. They will look up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, the one who will never leave them nor forsake them. Thank you for this day in your name. Amen.